Well, welcome everybody. My name is Nelson, lead pastor, and I want to invite you to turn to your Bible reading. It's in your worship guide, or you can also turn in your Bibles. So I invite you to turn to John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. And we're right after Easter, and so we're picking up the storyline from the Gospel of John. So John chapter 20, beginning at verse 19, hear the word of the Lord. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other's disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray one more time. Uh, Father, we trust that this is your word, and we trust that it is given to us in love. And we confess that we have no ability to give ourselves uh, the life that only you can give. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit uh, would work in us and work in what's happening here and open our eyes to the resurrected Lord. In whose name we pray. Amen. Today is the first Sunday after Easter. And some of us are wondering, what was Jesus doing after Easter anyway? And what he was doing was he was actually walking around and he was appearing to people and he was helping them come to believe in his resurrection. 
And so we saw that Jesus appeared uh, to Nicodemus. And we've seen Jesus appear to Mary last week. And now he's going to appear to someone else. And so we know it's all very exciting. Uh, we've said, we proclaim that the resurrection of Jesus meant uh, it was the first day of the new world order. It was the beginning of a new world. It was the beginning. It was the guarantee, uh, earnest money, uh, that the new creation had come into the world. It was uh, broken in. And it was also the guarantee that we too would be resurrected with Jesus one day. The Apostle Paul says that Jesus' own resurrection was the first fruits of many resurrections for all who believe in him. So it's all very exciting. And what we've been learning, uh, we've been in a series called Life Changing, and what we've been learning is that all of this comes through faith. And John has his own version of faith. The notion is really union and its process. And it's that we're coming to believe into the risen Lord. And he's helping us. He's helping us come to believe. And I'm realizing in this series uh, that faith is gift. And faith is more miracle than anything else. And sometimes you'll hear pastors and churches and we'll bang on people and we'll say, believe, believe. But a lot of us might say, uh, I really find it hard to believe. And faith is gift. And faith is a miracle. And that's what we're learning uh, in this series, as that many people's lives were changed by Jesus. So we've been in this series, and really what, we've been, what has been happening is uh, we have been finding that people have been on a journey to faith. And the point is that... Um, People have obstacles for believing. You know, Nicodemus' obstacle was self-righteousness, and Mary's obstacle was that she was still sort of working out how to put it all together. And today we're going to learn about somebody who had an obstacle that I would just say dealt with his personality and his mindset. It dealt with the way he was wired. So some of you might say, yeah, I would believe in Jesus, but I have obstacles. And if you were to say that, I wouldn't say to you, uh, that's dumb, or you don't have a good reason for not believing in Jesus. You probably have really good reasons for not believing in Jesus. And many of us have obstacles. Uh, maybe you look at the evil in the world and you go, that's an obstacle. Or maybe um, you prayed at some point in your life and you feel that Jesus didn't answer that prayer the way you needed. And you would say, that's an obstacle. Or maybe you look at the other world religions and you would say, well, Christianity is a good way, but it's not the only way. So Christianity is just exclusive claims. That's an obstacle. Or maybe you met a Christian at some point who was harsh and critical to you. And you would say, why would I want to be like that? That's an obstacle. So you might be here today and you might say, wow, there are a lot of obstacles to believing. And there's one more thing. You might say... Uh, an obstacle for me is just uh, what I would call intellectual honesty. Maybe you're an evidence person, and maybe uh, you really have a hard time with this thing called belief. So psychiatrist Kurt Thompson is somebody, uh, we have a lot of books around this house because I'm married to a counselor, and he talks a lot about the brain, but I've read the books also, and he talks a lot about the brain and Dr. Thompson says that we have left brain capacities and 
capabilities and that we have right brain capacities and capabilities. So left brain capacities and capabilities deal more with like analytical reasoning and logic and right brain capacities and capabilities deal more with things like intuition and creativity and faith. So here's the thing, Dr. Thompson says that you know we both need both left brain and right brain capacities and capabilities, but we tend to have one, we tend to favor one over the other. And the problem is, that uh, if uh, some of us have difficulty operating out of our right brains. So he puts it this way. He says, left brain mental processing disregards the right brain emotional elements of, and here's the word, trust, which is another word for faith, that are necessary for life to thrive. When I know that I know something because I can logically prove it, I step away from trust. When I no longer trust, I am no longer open to being known, to relationship, to love. So do you hear what Dr. Thompson is saying? I mean, you might think that, you know, people like me talk about faith as if it only has something to do with the spiritual life. But he is saying faith is way more than that. You have to have the ability to have faith and trust even to enter into relationships and love. But we're not uh, all right brain people. And some of us might say, I still find it hard. And some of us might look at other people who seem to just believe easily. And we might say, well, that's just easy believism. And you might say that those people are guilty of intellectual dishonesty. And so I wonder if in your heart of hearts, you're ever saying, I don't know what all this faith stuff is all about. And in my heart of hearts, I really have a hard time getting there. So if you're like that, then I think uh, this morning is good for you. Because if you've had a hard time, maybe you've never crossed over from being unbelieving to believing. Or maybe you're someone who just really wants to grow deeper in faith. And I think this morning is for you. Because who we're going to meet is somebody uh, who really had a difficulty, who really had a hard time coming to believe. He had so much difficulty that he became known for it, and he became named for it. And some of you have heard of Doubting Thomas. And what we're going to learn today is how Doubting Thomas came to believe into the, Lord, the risen Lord Jesus. So let's look back at the text, and maybe you can just have it open, and I'll be referring to it. And what we have in this passage is really two occurrences of the disciples being in a house where they gathered. And those two occurrences are a week apart. And in the first occurrence, Jesus, again, Jesus is appearing to people, helping them come to believe. And so in the first case, Jesus appears to his disciples minus Thomas and Judas. And then a week later, we're going to find that he appears to his disciples with Thomas. So today's reading begins on the evening of the first day of the week. And so this is Easter evening. We're only a few hours on from where we were last Sunday. 
Verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. And I think there's so much irony because as Christians, we look back on this and we say, oh my gosh, we're celebrating this wonderful thing that has happened. God's love has been expressed in the world through the dying, rising Christ. It's what we celebrate. It's what we stake our lives on. And yet here, if you'd been in it, uh, there was turmoil, uh, there was a lot of disruption, and there was fear. And so Jesus' closest followers, they're huddled away behind locked doors. The reason is they had seen the Jewish leaders execute their leader, and they thought maybe they were next. And I say, I point this out because sometimes we think, oh my gosh, if something is hard, then it's not in the Lord's will. But here we have something that was hard, and yet the Lord was leading it. And he was bringing the world salvation. So Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, and the words are significant, he said, peace be with you. It's like shalom be with you. It's really a reference to the new creation when Jesus will will put the world to rights. And so he's saying to you, the peace that you long for, may that peace be yours. That peace will be yours. So on the cross, we know that Jesus became our substitute for sin. And in Romans 5, it says that we are justified by faith, and through faith we have peace with God. And that's a game changer, because sin gives us hostility with God, and we can't make peace with God on our own. And the good news is this, that through the dying Christ... He has atoned for our sin, and now we have peace with God. And so in Colossians 1, it says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And here it is, by making, here's the key word, peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so here we are in this house with the disciple, and Jesus shows them his scars in between his two peace be with you's. I think that's significant. The peace is made real by the scars. Jesus has brought us the peace. He himself has become our peace through the scars and his shed blood on the cross. And this is where we strangely see the love of God expressed. And he's expressed it for you and for me there. So we're in the room, and apparently none of the disciples in the house in this first appearance had any obstacle to believing. Because verse 20 says, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And I think that last phrase, see the Lord, saw the Lord, is significant. Because when we believe, it means that we have seen the Lord. And we have believed him to be real. And it sounds like all of them had believed into Jesus. So now Jesus, with this group, is ready to commission the church. So verse 21, it says again, Jesus says, peace be with you. Then he says this. uh, I want you to see this in verse 21. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. We talk about this a lot around here. Uh, What is the church? Well, we we take this to heart. Jesus is telling us it's the people that are sent. 
if we're going to be part of the church, it's not just what we do in here, but we are His sent people. We are sent out into the world. The church is a missionary movement, and if we're going to be part of the church, then we have to follow where the Spirit is sending us. And so next Sunday, we're not going to be having worship, and we're doing something that we feel like is a faithful expression or obedience to a text like this. And that is we're having our Into the Neighborhood Sunday. And so instead of worshiping here, we're all going to find and be led by the Spirit into expressions, uh, small or large, of hosting our neighbors and serving those that maybe are in need who, are right, who live right around us or the Spirit has put in our path. And so why do we do that? We take seriously uh, Jesus' words, I am sending you. So Jesus is birthing the church. And with that, it says in verse 22, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the thing is, some of you will say to yourselves, well, this is kind of a little early. Uh, We said in the beginning that there was 50 days between Easter and Pentecost, the broad giving of the Holy Spirit to the church. But here they all, all press together. See, John compresses the time between Jesus' resurrection, ascension, and Pentecost. For John, here's the point. The empowering of the church at Pentecost is tied to Easter. It must be. What has happened is the Spirit is the Spirit of the risen Christ, and that Spirit has now been given to the church. So when we go out into the neighborhood, and when we're sent to places where we live, work, and recreate, we are, being, we are Jesus' continuing ministry in the world. We go in the confidence that his resurrection power is now living in us and goes before us. So that's a wonderful thing. It's the presence and the power of Christ in the church. And I want you to see one last thing. What will it be like being our Lord sent people? Well, Jesus is very careful in how he constructs this. He says, as the Father sent me... I am sending you. Well, how did the Father send him? Well, what we know from Philippians 2 is Jesus emptied himself. He made himself nothing when he came down from heaven to earth, and he sacrificed himself on the cross. So I think Jesus is trying to tell us something. Uh, It's not going to be easy to get involved in the mission of the church. And so we know if we read the books of Acts that Paul and Peter and the others, they were shipwrecked. They went without sleep. They were beaten. In Paul's case, uh, one lash less than the number of lashes that would typically take a person's life. And they were imprisoned. There was a lot of suffering for the people who were involved in the mission of the church. One thing I'm proudest of uh, for all of you who've helped found and to build the mission of Community West is just your willingness to make sacrifices. It hasn't been easy from the start, and a lot of you have made enormous sacrifices. And we started by worshiping, uh, this mission started by worshiping in in a smoky bingo hall. And then we had other things happening, and we were always sort of living on a shoestring. And then most recently, we're worshiping outdoors and braving the elements for two years during the pandemic. And now we're in here and we're still making sacrifices, helping to move our church from one to two services, all as an expression of our commitment to the mission of Christ in the world. And so we're taking it to heart 
as the Father sent me, uh, in the same way that the Father sent me, now the Lord Jesus Christ is sending us. But his promise is to be with us. He says, I will be with you. My presence and my power will go before you. So that's the first uh, setting in the house there with the disciples. But as I said, not all the disciples were with Jesus in that first meeting in the house. And so not all of them had believed. So let's just pick up this last part. Look with me, verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, they said, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, and here it is, he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And so some of you would say, I get it, Thomas. I have a hard time believing too. I have obstacles. All these people and their easy, easy believism and their intellectual dishonesty. Some of you might be saying, uh, I'm like you, Thomas. I'm an evidence guy. I need to see the empirical data. Maybe some of you are thinking, this is the way my brain works too. See, Thomas was like a scientist. He was an investigator. He really needed to see the evidence that this thing was real. And so I wonder sometimes, uh, well, what happens to a person like this? I mean, he already feels like he's on the outs. And maybe you feel like you're on the outs with the church uh, because you haven't found it easy to believe. And so does Jesus just leave people on the outs? Are you always going to be left out? Are you going to be left behind as the other disciples set out and the rest of us set out on the mission of the church? Well, this is the place where I think we started the service with the compassion of God. And I think it's the place where the compassion is so evident. And we have to feel the compassion of God reaching out to us. And I feel the spirit of Christ working this miracle in us, birthing in us faith that we could never birth on our own. See, the compassion of God is greatest and the compassion of Christ is greatest for a person like Thomas. And so here we are. Uh, Thomas is on the outs and Jesus uh, is so tender with him and uh, they work out another meeting and Thomas is there and so Jesus pursues it and he comes again and so the disciples are together and again the doors are locked but this time Thomas is there and I just feel that it's as if Jesus wants to operate with no man or woman left behind so again if you follow Jesus appears and says peace be with you and then look at verse 27 Jesus says to Thomas, he's so tender, so patient, uh, Thomas, he goes with Thomas' plan, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. So Jesus is inviting Thomas in. Then he says, stop doubting and believe. And there's last, that last sentence seems kind of direct, but it feels to me a lot like the moment when Jesus said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out of that tomb. Jesus was calling Lazarus out of his bondage to death. And Jesus is calling Thomas now out of his bondage to unbelief. 
And Jesus is going to himself make it happen. And so Thomas encounters Jesus. And here's the part I want you to see. Thomas, this is when Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Now, the thing is, um, I don't think Thomas had all his obstacles removed. In fact, we don't even know if Thomas ever touched Jesus' hand, you know, and sighed. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. The text doesn't say. All that it says is that Thomas had an encounter with Jesus, and out of that account encounter came Thomas's profession of faith. Now, just personally for me, I didn't have the easiest road to marriage. And I had um, dated some girls. This is kind of personal. I had dated, uh, dated some girls and um, had gotten to the point with some of them where I had obstacles. And I would sit down with a, I sat down with a friend and I would share those obstacles. And a lot of those people would go, well, those are good obstacles. I see. That's an obstacle. And so I had a hard time through some of the years in kind of crossing that threshold to marriage. It's just the way my brain and my interior worked with dating and marriage. And so again, I'd date someone, uh, but then I'd run into obstacles and I couldn't uh, close the deal until, <laughs> until I met this girl from Charlotte. And her name was Lisa. And we first had a date at Strawberry Street Cafe. And we had conversation and we made heart connections. And one thing led to another. And I had my first date with Lisa down in Charlotte eight weeks later. And I was driving back to Richmond from Charlotte. And I said to myself, I think I'm going to marry this girl. See, here's the thing. All my obstacles about dating and marriage had not been removed. But what had happened was my encounter with Lisa had shrunk my obstacles to the point that I was able to move forward with marriage with her. And I think that that's the same thing that Jesus does with us. He doesn't, he doesn't remove all our obstacles, but he shrinks those obstacles through the encounter so that we have the possibility now because of the relational counter with the risen Christ, to begin to believe. And this is the miracle of faith. See, what Thomas needed was an encounter. And what we also need is an encounter with Jesus. Now, I've told some of you the story of Dorothy Jones. And for years, Dorothy Jones was someone who did not believe in Jesus. I mean, like for four or five decades. And her husband believed, and he was really involved in the church. And then her children came to believe, and they were believers in the church and really active. But Dorothy could never get over her obstacles. And then one day, when she was in her 60s, Dorothy decided to pray a prayer. And she prayed to Jesus. She said, if you're real then help me have an encounter with you. Show me yourself. Do you understand? Are you, are you with me? She prayed a prayer and she said, Jesus, show me that you're real. And lo and behold, after four or five decades, she wrote in her journal in March of that year, he did. And I don't know all the details of her sort of 
spiritual encounter, but she said in her prayers, in her private time, she had an encounter with Jesus that was so real to her that she believed. And just a few months ago, she died in full faith in Jesus. And I think that's something that happened for Thomas here. Uh, We all need an encounter. We all need an encounter. We can't concoct faith. It's too hard. There are too many obstacles. It takes the miracle of faith, the gift of faith from Jesus himself. And what we all need is some kind of an encounter. And so if you're here today and you're uh, really having a hard time crossing over from unbelief to belief, or if you're just wanting to have deeper faith, let me just invite you to pray for an encounter. Pray for an encounter like Thomas had. Give up trying. Say to yourself, wave the white flag. I can't do it myself. But Jesus, if you're real, help me to have an encounter with you. And if you pray that prayer, I feel confident that Jesus himself, the risen living Lord, will appear to you. And I can't tell how it will be, but it will be in a way that's unmistakable to you because that's how he works. And if that happens for you, um, tell me about it. I'd love for you to tell me your story of praying that prayer and then having Jesus himself meet you uh, where you are. So here's the prayer. Lord, help me to encounter you. This is the thing. This is your your takeaway. This is the prayer uh, on the heels of Easter um, that I'm inviting you to pray. And it's in the spirit of what Jesus was doing in helping people come to believe in the season of Eastertide. So Jesus is so loving. He's so loving. There's so much compassion, so much patience with people like Thomas, and he will have so much compassion and patience with people like you and me. So friends, let's pray. We come in celebration today of our Lord's life and death and resurrection and his ascension and then his breathing on the church, his spirit, so that we might then take up his mission in the world. And so, Lord Christ, we trust that you've been here today. And without you and without your loving initiative, we are paupers in this whole faith enterprise. But with you and with these encounters and your loving initiative in our lives, we can become people of strong and sturdy faith. And we can see you and we can walk with you and we can serve you and witness to you. This is what we long for at Community West, that we would make your name great. And so we pray, Lord, help us to encounter you so that we might believe. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.